Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, I have some good news for you. And that always makes me nervous, Rick. No reason to be. I bring you happy tidings. <laughs> Turns out wine drinking seems to, be, seems to be healthy for older folks. You should be thrilled. <laughs> Thank you very much. Also today, listeners ask, what's the definition of a dry wine? Is there a difference between Fumé Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc? And why the back label of a wine is so useless in helping you choose. Why is it so yep. useless, they ask, yep, and they are totally right. Yep. Plus, our horrible wine writing comes from uh, listener suggestions, and Excellent. these are good. Excellent. Good. And as usual, with the help of our listeners, we're going to be making fun of wine snobs. Yes, we are. By the way, we are still yet, once again, not uh, ed- exterminated from the Capital Public Radio podcast lineup, Paul. Recommended podcasts right there with Terry Gross. They love us, Paul. They love uh, right. <laughs> I don't know if they love us, but <laughs> we're there. We're also on Napa Broadcasting. That's That comes out of your Napa Valley College. Napa Valley College, pa- Institution of Higher Learning. Paul teaches there, and yet... And number one community college in California. I don't know how that contradiction happened. Well, you know, just how it works. It could be you're losing classes. Maybe that's what. <laughs> uh, And don't forget, of course, uh, look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Rick and Paul Wine. Mm-hmm, Go there. Mm-hmm. Ask us a question anytime. Say nice things about us. Say, you can even say bad things about us. We just like any attention. Any, any attention at right. all, we'll go for it. Okay. So, Paul, this is a study uh, you should love. It's for, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, a study yeah, I should love. Yep, yep, yep. It's a research from Columbia University and Boston University published a study in alcoholism clinical and experimental research. Alcoholism, is okay, subtitle: clinical and experimental research. Uh, it found that older Amer- among older Americans who studied, so these are the ones studied, the moderate drinkers lived the longest. The mo- well, that leaves you out, doesn't it, Rick? Yeah, luckily I'm not old yet. <laughs> but but and you're not a moderate drinker. <laughs> I may never get there at this point. Now, before we get too much further here, I do have to make our traditional um, uh, medical disclaimer, which is that neither Rick nor I are medical professionals. We don't play them on the radio, and anyone who takes medical advice from us is a complete and total idiot. Yes, yes. It's, you, you might as well just jump off a building. <laughs> it'll, have the, it'll have the same helpful effect. Same effect. That's yes. Right. All right. So here's but here's what the study said. Yeah. They said they defined moderate drinkers as one to two drinks per day for a woman and one to three for men, one or more days per week. So that's actually, I would consider, pretty serious drinking. Well, somebody, somebody could have three drinks a night every day. Uh, yeah, 21 drinks a week. That seems, that seems like you're drinking. Even for me. Even for you, that's but, drinking. But then comes Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So but what they found was that the people with the highest mortality rate were the ones who did not drink alcohol at all. Yes. Among both men and women. Yeah. Well, they probably wanted to blow their brains out. <laughs> probably, they had to put right. up with all those drunks around and, them. And second highest were the heavy drinkers. And right. Then, and then third was, you know, the longest was, lived. Was, and then third was occasional drinker. And and the best was huh. moderate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And the women who drank moderately had the lowest mortality rate. And then the men who drank moderate were, were next. And, and of course, high, lowest among all men. Because women live longer than men. Yes. Yeah. So, and you know, the, as they say, this is an observational study. So, right. Nobody should make lifestyle changes based on what they hear from a study quoted by Rick and Paul on a podcast. Yes, or even from lead author who's Dr. Catherine Keyes of Columbia. She said it's clear that this, that uh, long-term moderate drinkers who refrain from quitting early due to illness, so obviously they could get they were sick, will enjoy greater right. longevity. However, she says, don't correlate, uh, you can't... Imp- exactly correlate what they know with the cause. Yeah. You know, the cause could be other things. For example, there's a lot of social influences. People who drink moderately are, are typically higher educated, wealthier, 
better health care, take care of themselves, exercise, yep. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Often people who don't drink are, are crazy. Well, oh, <laughs> and, then, and then they're the ones who, who quit drinking because they're sick. Yeah, that, that would they're sick. probably had problems going on. So, so then, yeah, they're not going to live as long. Yes. Yeah. Um, so in any case, it's, uh, yeah. well, it's, still, it's an arrow in my quiver, it's Paul. It's a justification for us to have a glass of wine exactly after the show. Right. All right. Well, Paul, I have more good news for you. I can't wait. Okay. The University of Buff- Buffalo Research. <laughs> it's actually University at Buffalo, not yes. of University at Buffalo. I had to look that up to be sure. Okay. The University at Buffalo Research was published in the Journal of Neuropharmacology. You know, I've I've you know you've that. expanded your reading material. No, I've, right? I've used neuropharmacology. I actually <laughs> scour that website. Uh, I think just like, in case I think you misread that. It's nerdopharmacology. <laughs> I was going to say just something that fits my neuropharmacological needs. <laughs> but, uh, and it says our friend resveratrol, which yes. is that uh, uh, thing in uh, red wine. Red wine, cranberry juice. Yep. It, it seems to help lower stress and fight depression by blocking an enzyme that affects your stress control center in your brain. Excellent. It's that simple? N- no, it's it's way more complicated. <laughs> I, I didn't understand the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only uh, word you got out of this whole thing was resveratrol and neuropharmacology. Yeah, and you and, had to sound that one out. Well, and it says the wine lowered stress, so I had a glass of wine, and it didn't bother me to understand it at all. <laughs> you weren't stressed anymore. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, so I have one more, Paul. Oh, good. I can hardly wait. Yeah. Well, don't uh, don't uh, don't despair. Disparage oh, no. this one. I sent this one exactly, to you. Exactly right. That's right. Yep. So this was a National Geographic article that said, yes. and this was from um, uh, an Indiana University uh, prof- medical school of medicine professor. I love this study. It's a good one, actually. Yep. And he says, and this is like we sort of know this almost intuitively, except in, except if you're a wine writer. Uh, <laughs> it says your genes, your germs, your environment all influence your tastes in food. Yep. And in wine, also in your partners, and possibly even your politics. It might even influence your politics. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And which we are not going to get into. We are not going to get into that. No. Um, No. But um, environment, culture, it affects your taste. Some people like spicy food. Some people don't. Some people like buttery Chardonnay. Some don't. And it's it's really interesting to me because I think. You know, we have a tendency in the wine industry to say, well, people who don't like that, it's because they don't know. Right. Whereas, in fact, in almost every case, it's because they tried it. And guess what, Rick? They didn't like it. They don't like it. Yeah. Doesn't taste good to them. Let's educate them, Paul. Let's just make them sit there and we'll we'll shove it down their throats. Drink it over and over again. We'll get a funnel and we'll pour it down. Say they like it. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I remember we had that study a couple weeks back, um, and it was about it talked about and great examples were you know cultures where you grow up with pepper or olives or things that would that little kids wouldn't like, but if that was what you ate when you were three and four and five, you're in. It became part of your palate. Yeah, it's all that sort of stuff. And so yep. it makes it makes total sense. Yep. Um, they, you know, there's there's an, there's another study that actually um, that and they quote this. They talk about this in the in the Indiana University paper, which they talk about how so much of what we do seems to uh, go back to our primal urge to survive, for our genes to survive, or mm-hmm. our family's genes to survive. Yep. Yep. And if you remember that somewhat off-putting study not so long ago, where they had women smell sweaty men's. T-shirts. Yes, and they some were some thought some were awful, and some thought others weren't. But it was not uniform. And what they sort of went back and looked at their DNA, and they thought that what it meant was was, actually genetically. It was that they smelled a a different set of an immune system. 
Right. And so what they were basically doing, their instincts were to have a larger, broader immune system. So somebody had right. the same immune system as them smelled bad. Yes. Some, so this is like so completely deep wired into our DNA. Yes. Th- some, if you don't like buttery Chardonnay, right. just accept it and some move on. Some snobby sommelier or idiot wine writer just is not going to talk you out of that. Move on. That's and by right. the way, I'd like to hear them describe a sweaty T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of minerality. Delicate right. nuances. <laughs> okay. Well, since delicate nuances are us, Paul, <laughs> I, I think it's time we answer some questions. Okay. okay. Thanks you once again for listening to our lovely Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. And if you'd like to ask us a question, the places are our website, rickandpaulwine.com. Just Google our names. It'll show up. Or Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, and our, our handle is at rickandpaulwine. We yes, are, of is. course, on Apple Podcasts, a lovely place to find us. So this one is from Chrissy and Palos Verdes. Excellent. So this is a good one. I like this. I like uh-huh. Chrissy. She says, I'm in marketing, and one of our rules is that if you can get you to pick up a product, the package should make the sale. Yeah, that's so, right. And when I pick up a bottle of wine and read the back, there's either so much there, and the print is so small that I can't read it. Yes. Or it says something vague like, from the best grapes ever in the best vineyards ever, and made with the same care that goes into delivering a baby. <laughs> <laughs> but not nearly as much fun. So she says, here's my question. What's wrong with these people? Have any of them taken a marketing class? Well, in, As somebody who teaches one, Paul? As I teach a wine marketing class, I can tell you, Chrissy, that most of these people have never taken a marketing class. No. It's absolutely, you're absolutely right, and it's absolutely amazing that they will tell you everything on the back label except what you want to know, which is, what are the people like who made this? That's what you really want to know. You don't want to know that it has hints of blackberry, black pepper, black currants, and what was it, mentholated plums That was or something? a week ago. We had yeah. a mentholated plum. There was a yeah. mentholated plum in Whatever there. Whatever that is. Yeah, and, and she's absolutely right about that because I've worked with wineries on this when they send me the copy that goes on the back label, and it's 150 words long, and I look at it and I think, if I don't have a magnifying glass... I can't read that. Why are you even bothering? Right, right, right. We had one the other night, and I think I still have this bottle. And if I do, I'm going to take a picture and I'll post it on all our social so you guys can see it out there. And it's, it was, the type was so small. I I don't need glasses to read, but I have magnifying glasses for reading things like this. And I (laughs) couldn't read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was standing in a really bright light. And it was, you know, and the stuff I got out of it was this long, winding story about... Seven different kinds of steel, and it's you know, it's dear Lord, yeah. you know. And then as somebody who wrote a wine label call uh, copy, you know, it's also this thing where we do the, you vague it up, so it's you know, it's so you can use it on every wine. You can use so it on every wine from the same label, time. and it's you know, it's yeah. this lo- lovely vineyard, so, so Chrissy, with handcrafted. You are, Chrissy, you are yeah. absolutely right about that, and all we can do is apologize on behalf of the entire wine industry yes, and say. I've been talking about this for 25 years. Can I help it that they don't listen? Yeah. I think what they should do is you turn it over and there's a picture of a puppy. <laughs> I'd buy that one. Or a cat playing the piano. Oh, there you go. Or oh, a video of a cat. <laughs> so you have like a video on the back label. That would do it. <laughs> okay. So this next one is from Deborah in Sacramento. Now, if anybody knows, I have a wife named Deborah. And she lives in Sacramento. And she lives in Sacramento. And yes, she asked me this question. Oh. Yeah, which is this what, is a this is an inside job. Yeah, well, it was okay, a good question too good. because I was reading one of these idiot back labels, right? And she says, "So, what's the actual definition of a dry wine?" 
And there is none. And there is none. Yeah. Technically. By the way, if anybody listens to us regularly, and dear God, our apologies if you do, but you <laughs> you realize that a lot of times our answer to those what's the definition of questions is, is there, there is no one. definition. Yeah. That's right. So technically the definition of a dry wine is one that has less than about 0.7% sugar in it. That's below the threshold at which most people in their palate can determine Sugar. Yeah, less less than one less one than one percent one percent one percent sugar. Yeah, right. so that's a nice simple round rule. Is that's what it, a dry wine is a wine that has less than one percent sugar. There are area, regions of the world, and Germany is one where the definition of a dry wine can be adjusted upwards in terms of sugar if the wine has really high acidity. Right, and that's the thing is that if there's acidity or the high pH, all that kinds of technical talk, but if the acid is high, you won't taste the sugar. Right. And so, and the so sugar will have a little, could have a little more sugar in it, but because the acidity is high, it'll still taste dry. And I think in the other direction, um, one of my favorite wine regions that I have to give you credit for introducing me to, which is French Accorda, which is a sparkling uh-huh. wine region in in Italy, and they get they have make bone dry sparkling wines, classically like French champagnes, but the fruit gets a little riper, right. and so the richness of the fruit flavors make these wines with zero sugar taste rich, not sweet, but right. so soft and rich. Well, and then you bring up sparkling wine. Of course, in the the sparkling wine category of extra dry actually doesn't mean that it's dry. It actually means it's slightly sweet right. because right. this right. is the wine industry. Right. And why would we make it simple when we can confuse people. Exactly right. So the answer is there is is none. Um, but let me say, Deborah, that was a brilliant question. Well, and, and let me add one more layer yeah. to this, which is that there are a number of wineries who say our wine is dry and it's not dry, and they know it's not that, dry. That's true. They I'll, lie. I want to make the point though, in case uh, they lie. Sh- sh- Deborah's listening. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Question. Brilliant question. Best by question the way, of the year. Well, well stated. Clear, articulate, (laughs) kind, (laughs) generous. Makes you wish we'd done a better job of answering I wish I could have answered that for you. (laughs) Well, I wish I could have answered either of those better for you. Uh, We will have more coming up. um, But first, we have something that we cannot explain either, which is our really horrible wine writing. Yep, yep, that happy music for such a depressing thing. Yes, it is. So we got a couple from listeners, Paul. I think this is magic. Yes. Listeners are sending us bad wine writing. Yeah, I think. As if, as if we didn't see enough of it I already. know, but I like it. And in fact, I, like, I want to encourage people, if you see these dumb things, uh, to send it to us, for sure. Well, we could make a drinking game out of it. it it's too easy. We can have a bunch of drunk people out there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but do, send us more, because this is great. Okay. All right, all right, Paul, you got one. Okay, so Ron and Lodo says, read this. I know Paul will love this tasting note I got in an email from winery named removed so we don't get sued. I took that out. Ron actually put the name in. So. Okay. Sorry, Ron. Because it's all about how the wine was made, and it has his favorite description. I don't know why they think I'd ever want to buy this wine. Yep. yep. So here's the tasting note. For this wine, each grape variety was hand harvested into small bins and carefully sorted in the gravity flow cellar. The clusters were gently destemmed directly into d- traditional French oak tanks for cold soak, fermentation, and extended maceration, a total of 33 days of wine altogether. The new wines were drained and gently pressed into 87% new French oak barrels. The final blend of 79% Cabernet Sauvignon, 21% Cabernet Franc, was assembled over the 27 months I of barrel calculator. <laughs> 
Black plum and blackberry fruits weave seamlessly with baking spices and rich layers of minerality <laughs> in a wine expressing depth and complexity. So that's about 250 words or 300 words, and there's one and a half sentences that actually try to describe the wine, and they use these cliche phrases. And ironically, rich layers of minerality. Minerality in general is considered to be a rather delicate and elegant, and rich layers of minerality yeah. just it doesn't cut it for me anyway. So, yes. uh, Ron, that's a good one. You get you get an A on that. That paper. was a good one. All right, you get an A plus. This one is from Ellen in Eugene, Oregon, and she starts off saying, "What does this mean? I don't understand most of it." I got sent this <laughs> in a wine club email, quoting magazine name, name removed, so we don't get sued. A deep garnet purple color and opens with notes of warm cassis, black raspberries, and kirsch with suggestions of underbrush and chocolate box. Medium to full body <laughs> entry, the palette reveals red and blackberries with stunning freshness and an approachable grainy texture. <laughs> okay, so um, what's the difference between warm cassis and, say, right. lukewarm cassis right. or and room temperature cassis? That's, well, I would think that you wouldn't be able to tell that in a wine. And then there's the black raspberries, which, as we know, all raspberries taste the same. Yes. I, I do like the idea that it opens with notes of chocolate box. Yeah. What does a chocolate box taste like? Well, it's a box made of chocolate, I assume. Which would be different than if it was made as in a if, if ball was... of chocolate. It would be a whole different <laughs> yeah. medium to full body. Why wouldn't it smell like a chocolate bar? Yes. Yes. And uh, uh, an approachable grainy texture. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. That's like tea. No, approachable grainy texture, that's what happens when you don't clean your glasses. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you have to get really close you to see. You get really close to see what you're looking at. Yeah, and a very deep garnet purple color. Yes, uh, yeah, once again. Uh, excellent, excellent job, Ellen. We'll give you um, right, so let's, 93 points for that, I think. So there we go. Yeah, I think <laughs> ironically, the, was the wine. No, it wasn't. We don't know what the wine rating was. All right, folks, uh, send us more. Don't send us the ratings because we don't really care. <laughs> right. But do send those <laughs> send bad us, wine ratings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you'd like to ask us a question, by the way, because we're going to ask some more, it would be the same place that you would send them to, the, your bad descriptions, which is at rickandpaulwine.com uh, or at rickandpaulwine, excuse me, uh, and rickandpaulwine.com is our website. All right, so this is from Paula in Los Gatos. Cool. She says, you guys talked about going wine tasting recently, and whenever we go, they ask join the wine club. Are they good? Well, that's a three-word question that has about a 10-page answer. But let's, let's put this as simply as possible. Um, most winery wine clubs operate on the concept that they have your credit card and they'll ship you some wine every once in a while. And if the winery is really conscientious and tries really hard, they'll ship you things you can't get anywhere else, and they'll ship them to you at a fairly reasonable price. And on top of it, they'll invite you to a couple of events over the and, course of the year that will be fun to go to. Those are the good ones. And those are the good ones. Yeah. And the bad ones will take your credit card, and they'll ship you the same wines Every few months, you get a bunch of wines that you could buy just as easily down at the local store. You have to pay shipping for them, and there's no point in joining a wine club like that. So the thing to do is, and you know, we, we talked, this came from the show we were talking about going wine tasting, and yes. one of the things we didn't say in the show, and I always do like to say that if you're a place where you had a nice time, you like the wine, 
buy a bottle in part because it's a nice thing to do and in part because it'll help you remember the place and you like the wine. You were yeah, there. You had a good buy time. Buy more than one. It'll have nice memories. So if a wine winery has nice memories and you drink a decent amount of wine, which is, you know, those cases, it's not a lot, but you're going to be getting four to eight and sometimes a full case every three months. Right. Um, so then make sure you know how much you're getting. And then the next thing is, is to... Uh, I would suggest don't do it from some wineries super far away because you won't be able to go to their events. Right. So if you live right. in Sacramento and you get went wine tasting with Ellen and Eugene, um, that you, would be hard. Y- yeah. Well, on the other hand, if you can't get those wines in Sacramento, well, that's true. Then it's and worth joining the wine club yep. there. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going for the parties. Yeah. Uh, but uh, again, one of the things that I think wineries do badly in many cases is they just assume that a wine club is a way to ship wine to people and get it pre-sold. Yep. And what wine clubs really ought to be is a way for you to become almost ambassadors for the brand, which means you get invited to special events. You get special treatment at the winery. When you walk in the door, they look up and say, oh, you are the guy with the goat. Yeah, Something I get that like one. That, that was uh, – I, I, I'm still carrying that one around. <laughs> so so it's an iffy, but I think uh, Paul kind of laid out the, the pluses and the minuses and, and asked those questions. If you um, if you like their wines, if, if, it, if it seems that they're going to be sending you interesting wines, if, right. if you have some discretion – um, and yep. if they have parties that seem like fun, those those are all the pluses. Those are the better ones. Yeah. Yep. And if you drink a lot of wine and you like their wine, it's not really a bad thing because you're gonna you have yep. to stay supply of wine you like. So yep. there's that. Um, all right. This is uh, Sean and Folsom is going to get the same answer we've been using a lot lately. Paul, he asks, <laughs> "What does reserve mean?" What oh, is the definition of reserve? Yep. And uh, we say, I don't think Sean knows my wife, but he probably <laughs> should. And he and he says, "Are those five dollar wines at the store really reserve?" Well. The term reserve has absolutely no legal meaning in the U.S. market. So, yes, I'm sure they're really reserved because somebody held them back for at least two or three minutes before they put them on the shelf. Yes. So there you go. They were reserved. Reserve doesn't mean anything. Yeah. In in Europe, there are actual definitions. Um, In the regions. Each region has their own. Having said that, if you go to especially uh, smaller wineries and they have a reserve flight and that sort of thing – it does mean that these are wines they are a bit more proud of. They probably make a little a fewer of them, or at least charge more money for. Or them. charge more more money for them. <laughs> yeah, right. it, it doesn't make them better. <laughs> That's I'm, right. But it does. They tend to they tend to think of them as their better wines. But yep. but if it, you could, and that is exactly the trick: is these five dollar wines at the bottom of the supermarket shelf. They want you, you to slap think. reserve on there. They I say want you to think if you slap a picture of a puppy, <laughs> cat you, playing you a piano. You don't need the word reserve. Video of a cat playing a piano. Yep. Well, in fact, that's probably what we need to make this show better. <laughs> Puppies and cats playing Don't, pianos. Isn't that who plays the piano in our, our theme music? Uh, isn't that Puffball? No, that is no. We fired Puffball. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, she was asking for way too many treats. Okay, okay. Let's let's end this round of bottle talk with Paul before we get really stupid. <laughs> too late. Our producer is Anthony Van Hook. Thank you, Anthony. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast lineup. Of recommended podcasts. Right. Sorry, Puffball. It just <laughs> had to happen. And look for us and ask us a question at rickandpaulwine.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at, at rickandpaulwine. If you learned anything today, we hope it's that we have found a way to keep all young and spry. Drink wine. And we've learned that Rick's bad taste in clothes is genetic. Hey, I like my paisley pants. <laughs> I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.